1: Hello, everyone. Happy Friday. Welcome to another episode of And Security for All. I hope everyone's having a great week and ready for the weekend. I am Kim Hakem, your host. If this is the first time tuning in, welcome to our show, and welcome back to all of our regular listeners. I'm also, as many of you know, the CEO of FutureCon Events. We produce cybersecurity events all over North America. Normally, I would be traveling at this time of the year, and at every time of the year, and hopefully soon we will be getting back on the road. But we uh, host cybersecurity events all over North America. FutureCon, um, we've been bringing great content, especially over the last year during these challenging times, and with this ongoing evolving cyber threats, we continue to see um, all the late. We bring the latest trends and the latest information to all of our events with our podcasts Series, this show, and Security for All, and our weekly cybersecurity events. So today, I'm very excited to have another great guest with me. I have uh, Corey Munson. He's the Vice President, President of PC Matic. Um, and he's a cybersecurity commentator, IT ecosystems navigator, and a marketing trend curator. Today on the show, we're going to discuss how secure is work from home still a year later? And are there a security risks of work from home? Are the security holes created by the race to work from home? That was a, a mouthful. So, with that being said, let me welcome Corey.
2: Hi, Kim. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, thanks for being here. So um, you, we were just talking pre-show a little bit about um, you're in Des Moines, Iowa. How's everything going in Des Moines?
2: Things are good here. Um, you know what? It's spring, so that's a positive. We made it through the winter, and uh, everyone seems to be doing all right around here.
1: And so how's the current state of everything? Is things pretty open in Des Moines, or what, what are things looking like there?
2: It, it definitely feels like it i think day by day there's uh, a, a little bit more uh, loosening of, of restrictions um, it, it feels like i think there's there's even a situation where we're turning some vaccine away because i think demand is so low and the numbers of vaccinations are so high so overall good and as i travel the country i'm i'm encouraged i've i've kept up my travel schedule uh, in the past few months and you definitely feel an uptick in in traffic out there.
1: Oh my gosh! I know it was. Well, it's probably been about three or four weeks since I've been on a plane, and I can't wait till until I'm back to every week. But it was just crazy that the airports are just like normal. The only thing different is we're wearing masks. Now. Who would
2: Who would have guessed? Kim, we would have ever said we miss airports and miss.
1: Airports, I know, right? I know. <laughs> the day is coming though, and we were talking about that. But we But we can talk about more about that. I kind of want to let my um, listeners know who. Corey is and tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about PCMATIC. Um, let's just start with you. Um, if you can tell me how long you've been with um, PCMATIC and kind of what your day-to-day challenges are and what's going on with you and Matic right now.
2: Well, I've been with the company for 16 years now. The company is going on 20 plus years um, in, in business. Uh, most of us know us as, uh, as a consumer security product, but the fastest growing segment of our our company right now is I work on the B two B side, so doing a lot with our channel partners, uh, working with a, a lot of MSPs, MSSPs, um, and then the different verticals all the way up to the federal space. So most of my time is is occupied with uh, figuring out how to best support our partners out there, and then our uh, own internal sales team as they they work with the different verticals, uh, supporting them and, and trying to help us grow as fast as we possibly can.
1: Well, I know you guys are growing like crazy. It seems like you guys have been around. I'm in St. Louis, and I believe is this where your corporate is in St. Louis? I know that's where your CEO is, I think
2: you know it's a trick question whenever whenever anyone asks about that so we are 100 virtual so all 50 plus employees are scattered throughout the country we do have a pocket of employees that are down in the myrtle beach area and that's where wow. our ceo rob chang uh, is based out of we've got some that are up here in the upper midwest uh, you know the company has connections back to the old gateway days so if you remember getting your first pc in a holstein cow spotted box Many of us, myself included, worked for Gateway. Our CEO was a, a senior vice president there. Um, so we've, we've got pockets of people all over the country, but the Midwest and down in the, uh, the Carolina areas are kind of our stronghold.
1: Well, that is really impressive, actually, your marketing, because you definitely, your commercials, and I know on your website, you talk about your commercials, your commercials do make it seem like you are in that local market. All this time, I always thought you guys were here. So, that's crazy. So. Yeah, it's something we take a lot of pride
2: in. Some people like them, some people don't like it, but um, it's it's really helped us grow into who we are. And we're doing some unique things with looking at ways to involve some of our, our partners in, in the future in, in these advertisements, just like we've done with some of our consumer customers too.
1: So um... So virtual is something that's not new to you guys. And like everyone, that's the hot thing, you know, is virtual, virtual, virtual. You guys are used to virtual. You've been doing virtual.
2: You, you know, we had so many people turn to us a year plus ago, knowing that we have been virtual for more than 20 years, asking about how we've made it work, um, asking what was practical, what was not practical. So we were we were kind of the go-to there for a while as everybody was in the mad scramble to figure it out. And we're, we've been big advocates for it all, all along. There, there are definitely some challenges that you have to address. But if you can do that, you know, it's made us incredibly nimble and really very productive, too.
1: So you said that you've been traveling and so you haven't slowed down since COVID. Have you been on the road this whole time?
2: You know, not as not as often as as I, I once did we we really made the the shift from you know our, a lot of our team spent the time on the road at, at trade shows and, and events like yours and knowing that those were eliminated virtually overnight, we definitely made the shift to virtual like every, everyone else and I, I think it's really forced us to understand where some of our weaknesses are in terms of being able to communicate that way but also from a kind of a digital marketing standpoint, I think we realize where, some of our our weaknesses um, were and and had a chance to address that over the past year. So that's been good for us.
1: So let's talk about um, how secure it is working from home. We've been talking about this for over a year. So what, like, what would you say would be some of the The progress that you've seen from, you know, we were just had a team call with my future con employees today, kind of recapping like how March thirteenth, you know, we were in Chicago. uh, I think it was like March eleventh and March thirteenth. It it was, you know, on our lap that no more events. So crazy for us, you know, when we look back at what where we've come from where we started and where we are today. What, how would you put that in a nutshell of what it looks like when everyone had to go home and how different it is a little over a year later?
2: You know, it's something we've actually measured. Um, Back last spring we did some research and did some surveys of, of our community and, and other communities kind of asking about work from home security. And just in the last two months, we went back and, and, uh, ran really a similar survey to make that comparison. I, the first thing I, I noticed when I saw the results a year later was I was surprised at how little progress has been made. And we can even talk about, you know, some of the details behind it and some of the numbers that jump out. But I, I was shocked that there wasn't more progress made towards filling some of these security-related holes. Now, that being said, and I have these conversations all the time, I'm glad people are now talking about it. They realize that if work from home is truly, if we're shifting to that, and this is going to be more of a long-term solution for a lot of organizations, then they do have to come to terms with what that means from a security standpoint. And I think those conversations are are happening, uh, whether they're acting on them or putting policy into place that's going to support that. I think that's that remains to be seen, but... Um, I was kind of shocked at how little progress we've seen in terms of concrete action to address some of these things.
1: Well, let's break some of those down. Let's talk about what you would have expected and what you found out.
2: You know, The, the first thing that um, has been a challenge across the board is our numbers show that roughly 60% of people that are working from home are, are using their own personal devices. It's not as if these companies are sending employees home with a corporate device that is solely dedicated to to company work Um, we've even seen this in the education space there's been IBM did a pretty extensive survey where educators and administrators again it's about 60 to 70 percent of them are relying on their own personal devices even to facilitate remote learning at home so most people in the cybersecurity space, I'll tell you, that's a gigantic red flag right there, because we don't know how, how well these devices are secured, how often they've been updated, have they been patched? Um, that right there is kind of the, the giant red flag initially, knowing that personal devices are where most people are, are doing their work. And you know, some of that was um, driven by the fact there was a shortage, as a, a lot of people are aware. It was hard to get your hands on a laptop for a long time over the course of last year. There were some issues with, with trade and everything else that slowed that process down. I think it's improved a little bit, but that, that continues to be a challenge. Even if you're a company that wanted to outfit all of your employees with hardware, you couldn't necessarily do do that. So I'd, I'd say that's that's number one.
1: So what would you what are you still seeing like I it seems to me are you seeing people going back slowly going back to the workforce and what are you seeing with companies that are deciding okay this is the new norm I know that for my company and I'm a very small company we used to work together and it has been way more productive to, for everyone to be at home so what where do you think that lies from the bigger enterprise companies to the smaller companies? Where do you think see things going? I,
2: you know, the big, the medium, the inner size uh, level companies, we talk to my gut says we're, we're in for some sort of hybrid model there where maybe it'll uh, be five days or I'm sorry, less, than, something less than five days a, a week in the office. You know, I think the smaller companies are, are probably more likely to, to, to resume, uh, you know, going back to the office—that's just kind of anecdotal evidence in in my conversations out there. But um, I've definitely talked to some IT leaders with some larger corporations that that have no intention of going back to anything like five days a week in the office. And this this happened to even be a company that had just spent tens of million dollars on a on a brand new headquarters. So there's a real sense that the productivity was much greater than anybody possibly expected. And I think it's going to make people um, kind of recalibrate where they think they they need their employees to be and how often they need to be there.
1: Well, and then, you know, we go back to, I had a, I don't know if you know, Deidre Diamond from CyberSN. She was on my show last week and we were talking about, and she's one of the largest, you know, i uh, Recruiting firms for cybersecurity professionals. And we were talking a lot about, we all hear about culture. And, you know, she was talking about these social etiquette and EQs and, you know, what culture should look like today and how lack of culture can definitely spill over to, you know, problems with cybersecurity. So, how do you think that's going to look when we, when we still have people remote? And, I mean, how do you build people together so you have this trust so we're not watching this human element of mistakes being made, if that makes sense?
2: It definitely does. I, I think companies, big and small, are going to have to really put some thought into establishing, number one, establishing some sort of policy, um, whether it's directly related to bring your own device. And what what the if you are relying on personal devices, what the expectation is of that device, you know how secure it's going to be. But I think it realistically is going to have to extend be extend beyond that. I think if employees are going to be working from home, there's now going to be a shift of kind of responsibility that those employees are, will now be responsible for making sure that they're logging in from a remote uh, secure remote environment. what is, what is your Wi-Fi network? look like at home. Um, you know, how many devices do you have connected to that network at, at home? Are you using a device that your children are also using for remote learning? I think there's there's going to have to be a lot of thought given to, to what that looks like and what obligations employees now have uh, to their employer to make sure that they're doing their part to be to be secure at home. And then you, you couple that with the challenge that our numbers showed that about only about 40% of people working at home say they're getting any level of IT support from their employer. So a lot of these people feel like they're on their own and they're ill-equipped um, from a hardware perspective in some, ta- in some cases, but also many of them don't even feel like they, they know the steps to take to secure themselves at home. So I think that's gonna be the first step is, is a bigger, broader conversation around policy and what's acceptable, what's not, and whose responsibility it is to, to make these people secure at home.
1: Yeah, and you know, the security teams, you know, in these corporations are really not that large. <laughs> so so how does PC Matic, what what is something that you know, you do to help your current customer base? How, how, did, how do you guys go in and help these remote workers?
2: You know, we we do a, a lot through our channel partners. You'll know, our Uh, Our suggestion all along has been knowing we work with a network across the country of of managed service providers and managed security service providers. Our position has been they are the ideal people to help supplement the IT uh, workers out there that we know are already overworked, um, you know, under-resourced and don't have time to take care of all of these employees that have been working at home. You know, they're There were numbers out there that said 85% of IT uh, leaders said they knew they cut corners from a security perspective to make sure everybody could log in from home. Well, okay, if we're gonna try to wrap our arms around that and we know we don't have enough IT staff to accommodate that in most cases, what if we also look at kind of a co-managed IT through managed service providers who could even conceivably go out into the homes and do some sort of security audit for employees I think that's going to be the key of kind of filling this IT support gap, which, is, which actually exists today, um, but it's, it's people that are going to have to be more hands-on and pre- prepared to deal with people kind of one-on-one in a, in a radically different environment than a corporate environment that could be controlled.
1: So, what does that look like when you go out to their home? And first of all, it seems a little overwhelming to me that a company, say you just take a mid-sized company and they're going to hire, you know, an MSP to go into each of their employees' home to do, you know, a a audit of what, what things look like. What, what does that look like for you guys going in and how expenses, you know, because you get into expense and, you know, some of these people have to put security on the side burner until they realize, well, I may not have a company if we have a breach or a ransomware. So where do you draw that line?
2: I think I think you're exactly right. The pushback you're going to feel is it's not practical to to roll a truck out to each and every employee and do some sort of individualized audit, and it's just not cost effective. I I think what we're going to see is as you know breaches are are potentially traced back to unsecure home environments, that it's not going to be a choice anymore. It's it's going to be just part of doing business, part of of onboarding a new hire is all right, if you know they're going to be working from home half the time, they are required to, to uh, undertake some sort of audit at home to see how secure the network is, take a look at the device they're logging in from, you know, uh, any number of items on the checklist that I think will, will be required. I, I've heard stories, again, kind of anecdotally of some MSPs who have offered this type of service when there was the crazy mass migration last spring. And they were walking into homes where the, the router, as an example, still had the uh, default password in about 90% of the cases, or the Wi-Fi password for the home, you know, was either written on a chalkboard so that every, everybody in the neighborhood that came into the house knew the Wi-Fi password, or the Wi-Fi password had never been updated since, since uh, the internet had been installed at the house. There's some just simple things there that aren't being done. And again, could cause some trouble down the road. And I think employers have to understand this may be the price of doing business now if you're going to allow employees to be home.
1: Well, and I know like from experience when I've had issues with my Wi-Fi and the, the cable people come, they don't they set your password to sometimes just your home address, you know. Exactly. So, you know, it's pretty, it's not that hard to figure out, you know, I haven't tested it out on my neighbors, but I know most of my neighbors, they're attorneys, they're, they're not IT people. So, I bet you, me, who is an event planner for cybersecurity events, I bet I could probably figure out their password. So how you know so so I think just doing basic things like that it's so easy to just download your provider whatever you might have you can just download the app and change those passwords it's it's very simple I think people just don't know how simple it is so what what kind of vulnerabilities. Well, let let me back up a minute. Let's talk about so can you do these audits remotely or are you do you have to go into their homes to see what's going on, especially with IoT devices mm-hmm. when so many homes are full of tons of IoT devices. Um, when I just did a computer scan just the other day, I think I have like 28 connected devices in my home. You know, so it it it's crazy. I you know some people probably have 50 to 70 because everything is IoT. So how do you manage that?
2: Oh, you're right. People are shocked when when you you know help them understand how many devices are actually connected. Um, I think there, there are some opportunities to do it remotely, and, I, and, and I'm guessing that's where it will start before uh, anyone would decide that it's uh, they need to roll a truck directly to the employee's house. But uh, there are definitely some tools. Ours happens to be one of them that would allow you to, even for the smallest of employer, employer to have this installed on a device that allows you to monitor that device from a performance and a, and a security standpoint. Um, so most of it, I think, could be done remotely. It It's going to be a work in progress. It's kind of one of these, you know, building the plane as we fly it situations. I think we're going to have to, uh, you know, figure out the most efficient way to do these things, and I would argue that the service providers who can figure it out and package it um, and make it very simple to understand, they're going to win because there are companies out there that desperately want this to be done the right way and realize that they're changing the way their, their company looks long, long-term. So they know they have to address these things. They just need the help with it.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the tough part because business owners and organizations, I mean, just staying one hot, one step in front of a bad actor is already hard enough. And, you know, I talked to CISO's chief security officers all day long, you know, just about, you know, they're still having problems with someone opening links, you know, which is crazy that people still do that. So, if you, you know, where do they start? You know, I mean, it it seems like it's such a, it's such a large puzzle to piece together. What is your first step?
2: That's a great question. And and I know we're kind of coming up on a break, but that's one of the things that we really spend a lot of time on is really uh, hammering the fact that there are some simple things that can be done. It doesn't have to be a gigantic investment into the next bright, shiny security solution out there. There are some simple things from a password standpoint, from uh, an endpoint security standpoint, even training. You know, we can talk about training a little bit. There are some very simple, low-hanging fruit steps that, that most companies could take that will go a long way, a very long way in, in better protecting their, uh, their employees and, and the company data. Unfortunately, many are just kind of distracted by, well, we, we gotta spend some serious money to, to invest in some enterprise-grade security solution that's really not necessary for most small, medium-sized businesses out there.
1: Well, and that's interesting. And, you know, when we come back, you know, that that's a good topic to go into is some of the low hanging fruit, you know, and if you had to, if you had to throw out a couple of them before we go on break, what would you identify as one or two of the easiest things to simplify helping your employees at home?
2: I would say number one are, are passwords. The reuse of pass, passwords across business <laughs> accounts and, and uh, consumer accounts is, is alarming. And the idea that a lot of that data is already available out there on the dark web and can be easily used against you. If it's, if it's already accessible, passwords is, is a number one. The other thing is multi-factor authentication determining, you know, based on whatever platforms you might be using or software or whatever it may be, multi-factor authentication is one of those things that is not used as often as it should be. And if it was enabled as often as it should be, it would, it would make a, a big, big dent into the attack service of a lot of these devices.
1: Is it easy to put a multi-factor authentication on your router or something like that in your home?
2: Um, not, not as, I mean, there's some things you can do to better secure those devices, but you know, it, who doesn't have a bank account these days that's right. forcing them to do multi-factor authentication. It's, it's as simple as, as something like that. And especially for kind of mission critical pieces of the company. If you don't have it, it's it's one of those things you're just rolling the dice with.
1: Well, you shouldn't be with a bank that doesn't have it. That's one thing for sure. So we're going to take a short little break, and we're going to come back with Corey Munson. He's the vice president of PC Maddox, and we're going to talk more about securing your uh, work from home and some of the low hanging fruit that we can do to make your home more secure, and some of the vulnerabilities that were causing companies when we don't take these precautions. So we'll take a short little break and we will be back. And thanks everyone for tuning into Insecurity for All.
0: Don't miss the weekly FutureCon seamless podcast series focusing on the insights and thoughts of chief security officers and industry pioneers making a difference throughout the world. Kim Hakem, CEO of FutureCon Events, and Darren Anderson, CEO and co-founder of Next Robotics, host seamless podcast started by a team of entrepreneurs with experience in fields like smart cities, technology, cybersecurity. The result is a series of podcasts unlike anything you've ever heard anywhere. Listen where you get your podcasts, including Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Are you a cybersecurity professional that needs to earn continuing educational hours? FutureCon Events brings high-level cybersecurity training discovering cutting-edge security approaches, managing risk in the ever-changing threat of the cybersecurity workforce. Cybersecurity is no longer just an IT problem. To learn more about attending a virtual event, go to futureconevents.com or email info at futureconevents.com or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at FutureConHQ. You are listening to And Security For All with Kim Hakeem. To reach the show today with your questions or comments for Kim or her guest, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to khakeem at futureconevents.com. Now back to And Security For All.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to And Security for All. I'm Kim Hakem, your host, and today I have my guest, Corey Munson. He is the vice president of PC Matic. We have spent the first half of the show talking about how to sc- secure your work from home and different uh, measures you can take and some of the low-hanging fruit that you can do to just even take a few steps. So welcome back, Corey. Thanks, Kim. So we were talking. So let's talk about, you know, the reason I brought up the router is because I did have a guest on my show. I've had lots of guests on my show that said something about that, that you could put, you know, a two factor authentication on your modem or router. And then I go, I left the show and I was like, now, how would you do that? You know, that didn't really make sense to me.
2: So. That's a great point. This is a, uh, part of our survey that we got into after the first pass is, you know, if you think back to last spring, there were no shortage of blog posts and webinars being done about here are the here are the best practices. If you're going to be working from home, you should be doing X y, and, X, y, and Z, and you should be configuring this this way, and you should be uploading this and locking this down. We asked some questions about how comfortable people would be actually doing those things, and we were finding that maybe half, maybe less than half um, felt like they could go through a typical checklist like that and actually get it done on their own. And and I, you know, that kind of changed the way we approached some of the content we were creating, the way we were communicating with our partner community and encouraging them to have a different type of conversation with their end users. Because you, you can hand out these checklists all you want, but unfortunately, if half the people don't feel like they can go do it, they're, they're not going to do it. It's the same reason people don't change their Wi-Fi password very often. They they either don't know how to do it or it's just a pain and they don't want to bother. So I, I think that's a big consideration is a lot of these people um, may realize they need to do something to, to better secure themselves at home. They're just not doing it.
1: Well, I have to say I have a young teenager at home who is very addicted to the internet. And because Mm. of that, I have learned (laughs) how to be able to have everything on my phone and watch what devices are connected and change the password. Now it's caused me a lot of undue stress because I might be watching something at midnight and all of a sudden my internet goes out. I'm so annoyed because I set those parameters on there, but it's so easy. It's like, if I can do it, Anybody can do it, you know, I live in a older home that's it's about a hundred years old, so I have to have a wi fi extenders all over and it's just so easy and I don't know why. You know, everybody is not doing that because you can see everything that's going on. So would that be something, you know, I mean, you could, you could probably even have a business owner watching what's happening in someone's home, but then you're kind of crossing the lines when we were talking about culture and, you know, not feeling like you're in a, yeah, you, you know, like you're you're being mandated to do something. So so where oh. do you where do you where do you draw the line on that of what the business owner remember it's the business owner's company and this person could potentially, you know, cause a vulnerability to put this business owner out of business. So so what does he do?
2: Or well, she? It, it's a it's a great point. And I think that is part of what is still up for debate. And this is what's going to really necessitate policy be put into place. This is, um, you know, some of the conversation early on was, all right, I've moved my employees to work from home. The expectation is they're going to be working from home. um, And maybe I'm lucky enough to have some sort of IT support staff to help them. But if they're at home using their own personal devices, connecting on their own home network, is there a line that has to be drawn of what, How far can that IT support person go to help that employee? What if they happen to stumble into their browsing history? Is that then fair game? I mean, there's any number of of twists and turns to that uh, scenario, but I think that's part of what, what will have to be worked out is probably part of an acceptable use policy or even some sort of employee handbook that says... You know, if you're working from home and you're plugged in and you're expecting IT support, they will be allowed to do XYZ, it, all, all of which needs to be figured out and, and, uh, and kind of defined, because the more we leave it out there like the Wild West, it just leaves doors open for, for problems.
1: Well that's that's a really good point. I mean employee handbooks I'm sure are being, you mm-hmm. know, revised with that technology section in the employee handbook because now, one story I heard, I was doing some research for one of the shows and I saw a company out of Indiana and they the CEO was putting keystrokes, you know, on their computer. I think that's a little too much. That's a little too far, but there just has to be some respect, but there also has to be a way that you have to you can cover, you know, cover yourself as a business owner if an employee is doing something that's unethical.
2: I think it's exactly right. Probably half an hour before we, we started talking today, I saw there was another uh, post out there about remote monitoring tools. And, you know, where where is that line and what what rights do an employer have, uh, do employers have to, to monitor employees at home? So, again, I, I don't think you can overstate the importance of policy in all of this. There are a lot of other technical things that will have to be figured out and addressed from a security standpoint, but I think uh, policy is going to be the A number one step. Um, And without that, there's no guidance or parameters.
1: So what are some of the biggest vulnerabilities or biggest issues that you've seen in the past year that have caused companies issues, threats, and just made themselves wide open to attackers?
2: Um, we can go a couple different directions on this. I mean, if you if you think about it, the way it was best explained to me was, you know, for years, cybersecurity for companies was built on what they have always called castle doctrine. Right? You take the the company uh, uh, crown jewels, the the data, you build up uh, walls around that. You put soldiers up on the walls and all your weaponry to to guard against that those crown jewels in in the middle. Well, what happened last March was everyone realized they were gonna to have to work from home, so they brought their kids' laptop in, loaded those crown jewels onto their laptop, and went home to work for the, the next year and a half. So it's it's so dramatically changed the way we're thinking about cybersecurity from a from a company or organization or corporate perspective. Um, it's opened up a lot of vulnerabilities. The the thing I think there's not a lot of hard evidence to point to this particular breach or this particular uh, hack over the last year was a direct result of somebody plugging in at home. But I don't think it's going to take much imagination to understand that, that phishing continues to be the driving force behind a lot of these attacks. And, and much of that are just kind of broad, uh, you know, they call spray and pray attacks where they're just sending out mass emails hoping somebody's going to click. And unfortunately, one of the things we found in in our survey work was very few people that were working from home now are getting any type of additional training from their employer about cybersecurity awareness. So hopefully they were getting it before when they were in the office, how to spot phishing attacks, how to be on the lookout for, for red flags inside those emails. But it looks like since the shift to work from home, they're getting even less of that. And in reality, they need more of it now, more than ever. So that's that's A number 1 is is a lot of this is driven you know 90 plus percent of, of these things are driven by people clicking on something they shouldn't be clicking on.
1: You know that is a really good point because when you first said People are not getting trained because they're at home. Mm-hmm. My first thought was, because I'm just thinking of the IT people. I'm like, oh, no. You know, we as a company, we're doing training every week, but that is for the IT teams. So, I'll be really, I, I do these uh, at the end of our events. We just started, we, we meet with about 13 to 15 CISOs talking we have over bourbon we have this bourbon happy hour and they open up and that's gonna we have a show tomorrow with them and i'd like to ask them you know what are they doing because what are they doing now for these people that aren't always hearing about it you know at work you know now they are home and you know the human resource maybe that's not even a good person to because they would know a lot of what's going on but somebody that's just an admin person working and as an attorney's secretary, you know, that security's not even on their mind. You know, where are they getting the training? You know, what are they doing?
2: That's exactly it. And and you couple that with it felt like the perfect storm last, last spring is you couple the lack of training. People are now at home, maybe they don't have filters or whatever it is that, that's helping guard against some of this. And you couple that with the the phishing attacks that were built on COVID-related topics that every, you know, if you got a COVID-related email, chances are, unless you were really mindful and and careful, you might click on it because you were hungry for that information. So there there was this really bad ball of energy, I guess you could call it, if you combine the COVID-related attacks with people moving to work from home. And they happen to be plugging in from their own devices, which probably didn't have any safeguards against that type of thing. So inevitably, we'll see somebody do some kind of historical look back on this time period and realize that many of the the attacks and breaches were probably traced back to somebody plugging in at home.
1: So do you have... um... Like any kind, I, I don't recall who your partners are, but are there some hot? I assume you're going to pick your one of your partners, but what are some of the best like um, security tools that you can put on your you know home device that all that that phishing attacks and all that spam you know is is it's not even going to be in front of the employee unless they go into that. No, I happen to have proof point. So sometimes, you know, I mm-hmm. I I look at um maybe a couple times a week. Do I go in my proof point folder and it's all generally ninety nine point nine percent of spam. So are there tools? You know, can you can you tell me about that and how yeah. how 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 do you rate those tools and what are some of the better tools and should everybody have something like that on their computer?
2: Our recommendation is usually twofold. is Is one, the training's necessary. There's a lot of really good training out there that won't cost a company a dime. You know, there there's great resources out there through any number of. Of nonprofits that are making that available, you've got good companies like know Before is out there with a lot of great free resources about how to better edu- educate your employees about what to what to look for. So I, I think it's a multi pronged approach. One, you try to train them as much as you possibly can, and make make them your front line of defense. Now you've got other tools. You mentioned Proofpoint, yeah. PC Matic, you know, is the, the way it's positioned in many cases is it's installed and it's monitoring for any type of executable. And if something t- attempts to execute that's not recognized as a known good, it'll block it. Well, a lot of those executables come from somebody clicking on an email. So if you happen to have a security component installed on that, that device, even if you do click on something, it's going to stop it from executing and potentially infecting your, your devices. So I'm always going to suggest it's, it's, you need both. There are, there is no single silver bullet, but there are good preventative bullets out there that used in combination are going to get you much further along and training. um, I don't know how, how employers are doing it without training these days. Because uh, whether we're talking about, you know, uh, business email compromise or CEO fraud or just straight old phishing, um, it's 90 plus percent of the stuff starts that way.
1: So, because this uh, show is called And Security for All, and we do Mm -hmm. have some listeners that are not as, you know, they don't understand some of the things that we talk about and we want to break it down. So, going back to what I was referring to, I, because my servant, because our, our web, we're with GoDaddy. You mm-hmm. know they they use Proofpoint, but I also have bytes, You know that just kind of scans my computer every day. So can you tell people what the differences of what when you have your internet provider, you know that you're you're your website is hosted on and everyone's email is going through GoDaddy and they, you know, we don't have a choice, but to use what they have selected, which is proof point. But then I mm-hmm. have a choice to put malware bytes on my computer. Can you break that down for our listeners? What the differences of the two of, you know, what you're already going to have to use because that's what your provider provides.
2: Yeah. In, in most cases, you're going to see, most internet service providers, and depending on how that your email client is configured and everything else, there there are a series of filters that are going to try to catch a lot of that stuff. They may even offer up some sort of warning system that's tied into your email. It, you've got your traditional spam filters as well. You know, so consider that one component of your security stack. You're going to have this this multi layered approach to try to try to protect. Your, your device. So you've got, you've got that protecting you as a, as a filter. You'll have typically some sort of antivirus product. That's always scanning for um, uh, known bad. So if there, if there is some sort of virus that t- attempts to, or a piece of malware that attempts to infect an endpoint, and it's recognized, it can stop that from, from executing. And then the additional layer of a product like ours is kind of taking the step even further. It's saying, Lock the whole endpoint down. Monitor for what's going on on that laptop or that desktop. And if it's not recognized as a known good, block it from executing. Then combine that with having a good backup. So if all else fails, you've got your backup there uh, to restore from. And it's something you test on a, on a frequent basis. It's it's defense in depth. It's multi-layered approach to defense that is the best practice and there are multiple p- different variations of the layers you can include in that in that approach but that's the best way to do it and not rely on just one single solution because you know i i like to remind people internally every time we see a new headline about some sort of cyber attack it means somebody's security solution failed and there there was something that was missing that could have potentially helped them that that they don't have. Um, So the layered approach is the best. We're just advocates for there are better layers than others.
1: Right. And we were talking before the break about how pretty much all of our information is out there on the dark web, because Mm -hmm. we've all used, you know, Equifax, we've all shopped at Target, you know, all these old things that have happened. So how do you Defend against that now. If you know everyone says everyone's information is out there on the dark web, I guess it just goes back to everything you just told us a second ago. Is mm-hmm. just multi-layer defense.
2: It, it really is. I, I think if you work from the assumption that all of our information is out there, when, when one way or another, that's that's a good step. One is as horrible as that sounds and as frightening as that sounds. Um, it's probably a good working assumption that most of your personal information, social security number, most of your passwords are probably out there. If you think about over the past, let's say, five or six years, how many times we've heard about Target or you know any of the major breaches out there, chances are most of us have some sort of account or some sort of association with one of those organizations that was breached. And that information is out there on, on the dark web. So knowing that, and if that's your working assumption, the first thing you can really do to help yourself is make sure you're not reusing passwords that were were potentially compromised. And a lot of people are guilty of, they're using the same password for every personal account they have, that they're also using for work, for whatever other uh, devices require a password. So that means, if i want to target you kim and i can go find one of your passwords out there on the dark web and probably buy it for pennies and figure out a way to to get into your accounts and you reuse that password then i've got the keys to the kingdom because i can log into everything then at that point
1: so what about security questions do you think that you know when you go into these websites and you have security questions you think that That they know if you're using the same, you know, I do have to say there is one that I use all the time. And I always wonder, hmm, I probably should change this. But it's easy to, I I change my passwords all the time. Yeah. But security questions are interesting.
2: I'm not going to claim to be... uh, enough of an expert or even close to an expert to, to understand how, how those would be compromised other than reuse. Like you were saying, if yeah. somebody really wanted to target one of us and wanted to do some homework on our social media accounts or whatever it was, and the password happened to be, you know, your, your first car or your high school or where right. were you born, that information is probably easier to figure out than we realize
1: Probably so. It's something I've never really thought about until I mean, I think about it all the time, but you know, yeah. we're remembering a thousand different passwords. So once you get to the security questions, it's like, oh, geez, except for. I, I just tend to use the security questions for the things that seem not to matter. You know, if it's my bank, I'm going to change it. You know, yeah. when it's, right. it's, it's money they're going to get to, but isn't everything a starting point to getting to the big thing they're trying to get to, which is funds. Yeah. So. It, it's another
2: good reminder to, to keep your social media accounts really well locked down. You know, don't make them public, make them private, make sure you're only sharing that information with, with friends. Uh, people that you know and trust, it, it's a good reminder for that. And it's a good reminder that if multi-factor authentication is an option with whatever account, if it's your bank account, your mortgage, whatever it is, is take, it adv- take advantage of it. It's going to be forced on you sooner or later because most of these companies know it is best practice. Um, but if it's optional now, take advantage of it. It's just another good way of, of protecting yourself.
1: So, what's your thoughts on going passwordless? I had a guest on my show early on. um, He's Ori Eisen. He's the founder of Trusana. Not sure if you know who he is, but he partners with Frank Abnigal from Catch Me. He was, you know, portrayed in Catch Me If You Can. And he is called the king of, you know, going password, the king of passwords, and he he feels that in five war, five years, passwords are going to be like fax machines, so no longer existent. So, what do you think about that?
2: I've heard both sides of it. Um, again, it's one of those subjects that I I, I don't claim to be technical enough to, to know where it's headed. Mm-hmm. I've definitely heard the, the theories that passwords will be gone and it will be facial recognition or fingerprint or palm or whatever it possibly will be. And I've also heard the other side of it that says, no, there will always be a place for passwords. I, I just don't know where exactly it's it's headed right now. I know what what's in place now doesn't seem to be working really well because you can talk to any number of experts out there. And we've had some people internally that are extremely qualified to speak to this stuff who always remind me, it's almost always the password. It's almost always somebody's credentials were stolen or were easy to guess, more than it was some sort of sophisticated hack or sophisticated piece of malware or something like that. It was usually somebody just had a password of one, two, three, four or something like that is usually how, how these people are getting in. So uh, whatever it is, it has to, has to improve and it has to be better than it is.
1: So, if you had any predictions for what we're going to see, because we're getting close to wrapping up in the rest of 2021, 2022, for the work from home and what we can expect and how we can move forward, what would would your advice be?
2: My hope would be companies will… Uh, really spend a lot more time on this, like we talked about, establishing policies and putting some some procedures in place to 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 guard against what we 've talked about here, if work from home is going to be an option for their employees going forward so I think that 's a number one that 's my hope. My prediction is we 're going to continue to see people that are working from home be preyed upon and be be targets in some cases. Uh, because they are working from home and because the devices they're logging in from and the networks they're connecting through are not well secured. And unfortunately that's going to mean, you know, ransomware uh, continues to be an issue. I think will will even grow. Ransom demands are going to continue to grow. We're seeing data exfiltration. It's not just about the data being encrypted. They're now stealing the data and public publicly releasing the data. Unfortunately, people working from home being the target, it's going to facilitate that more and more until we can really figure out a way to secure that going forward and, uh, and make something like ransomware uh, not profitable. Because right now it's a viable business model and they're always looking at ways to infect more people with it. And unfortunately, those people at home right now are, are kind of in the crosshairs.
1: We didn't even get to touch upon like third party, you know, vendors. And, yeah, and you know, I wanted to spend some time about that, but we, we have almost two minutes left. Is there anything that you could just say in light of that? Like how vulnerable are we when our vendor is getting attacked? What does that mean for us?
2: I, I think we'll hear a lot more about it going forward this year. It's, I think a lot of this will be driven by the insurance industry these vendors, these companies, even MSPs that are looking at protecting themselves um, and, and carrying some sort of cybersecurity insurance, I think you're going to see the insurance industry really start to drive standards by which these companies have to, to, to meet just to qualify for these policies. So the vendors you're working with and the third parties that are have access to your data, it's something that if you're not already thinking about and understanding how they access that data and how, how to how to uh, vet that, you definitely will need to be because it's it's uh, a growing issue.
1: That is so interesting because I have, I know somebody that owns a, you know, big construction company and there, you know, was a huge accident on it and insurance covers it. So I guess we're going to start seeing more insurance that is going to cover Definitely. these type of things. We, we heard a lot about cybersecurity insurance before COVID. And I imagine it's probably going to launch pretty big. So if you have any last messages you want to leave with our listeners.
2: Yeah. That'd I- be great. Sure. I encourage everyone to, to drop by PCmatic.com. We'll tell you more about what we're doing with our products for both the consumers and our professional products. And I'm also on LinkedIn. I spend a lot of time there. I would love to engage with any of your listeners. You've got a great community. We've been a part of your events in the past, and we look forward to being a part of them in the future.
1: Great. That is Corey Munson, Vice President of PC Matic. And he's out of Des Moines. You can find him on LinkedIn under Corey Munson. Thank you, everyone, for joining another episode of And Security for All. We hope that you all have a great weekend. And I hope all the mothers out there have a great, happy Mother's Day. And we will see you guys next week. Remember, you can listen to us on any of your favorite podcasts playstations and we look forward to seeing you guys next week stay safe stay well and stay secure thanks everyone
0: thank you for tuning into and security for all